0: Now, in my first week, uh, when we started this new series on Romans, I spoke about having a memory verse every week. You remember, remember that? And I forgot to actually tell Nat that, so he didn't, he didn't throw out a memory verse last week. So I'm going to test you this morning, and, uh, and we're just going to check if anyone has actually remembered the first memory verse from uh, Romans chapter 1, and basically the deal is you'll get a caramel or a koala, which is uh, quite a reasonable prize if you can do that. So, um, uh, first memory verse, uh, we're going to flash it up. No, I mean, we won't, we won't, we, we won't do that. That would be giving you a, too much of a hint. So it was uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. It started off by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Oops, shh. I can't give you all the Frodo Frog or Camilla Koala. So uh, does anyone want to have a crack at it? it of Salvation of Christ. Salvation of Christ. it's alright keep going not ashamed of the gospel for the salvation of well done that's pretty good that's pretty good whoopsie days does anyone else want to have another go someone you know you want to. <laughs> okay. for I am not ashamed of the cross because it brings salvation to those who believe. First of the Jew, then the because it is the righteousness of God. For as it is written, the righteous. You're all over it, but uh, all around it. <laughs> you, can you catch? Well, there we go. Uh, is anyone else? Someone else? Up the back, here we go. Are you reading this off a screen? Yeah. <laughs> 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 he keeps glancing down. You've got to stand up and, and eye contact with me. Here we go. Can you do it? Can you do it? <laughs> Have a look at this. <laughs> okay, here we go. I'm not saying That's all right. Yeah, here you go. Watch out. Oh, oh dear. Are you all right? She's OK. Oh dear. Okay, I won't do that again. That was the worst possible outcome from that attempt. I'm so sorry. OK. Let's bring it up. Let's bring it up. Here we go. Ah oh dear, that was bad. All um, right here we go. everyone together. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It is written, the righteous will live by faith. Awesome. Here's the second one from last week, which I'm just going to share with you because I've chosen one now. So can we go to the next one? Um... Okay, can we fit that i don 't know if we can fit that onto one yep I oh, know go back, go back so this is this is last week 's for, uh, for since the creation of the world god 's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that all people so that men are without excuse all right so that 's the next one so' we're, the, the the kind of concept I have is that we 'll actually Look at these, commit them to memory, see if we can do that. And if you can do that week by week, then by the end of this series, you're actually not going to just have some vague memory, but you'll actually have the Word of God carrying you through Romans, which I actually think is really powerful. And that's what I want you to want to encourage in us. All right. Uh, Let me say, as I start out, um, this sermon, I, I pretty much wrote this sermon... Uh, through the weekend, I finished it about two o'clock on Friday, and then I thought to myself because I was biting off this huge chunk of scripture, and I thought to myself, it's not, it's not right. I've bitten off way too much. I've covered too much ground in one sermon, and so about three o'clock Friday, I came back to him and thought, no, nah, I've got to pretty much start again here. And so I have worked my way over the weekend. I'm not trying to boast or say how I've just. It's just been like on my mind all through the weekend. So uh, one thing I said when I was interviewed for this position, I said, I w- one thing I can guarantee is I will never rock up on a Sunday, I'll never stand up and preach without having really prepared and known that I've done my best to prepare a message. So I'll say to you, whether this is good or bad, I can tell you that I've actually put a fair bit of effort into this. So I hope you like it. Um, I'm going to talk to you about the difference between being fake and being real. Being fake and being real. Um, I remember when I was a youngster, uh, I played a lot of tennis and I played in a few tournaments, regional tournaments, where you'd get different people coming into play. And sometimes there would be people who would come to the junior tournament and they would rock up looking like Roger Federer, right? Or I probably should say Ivan Lendl back then when I was a kid. They had a racket bag bigger than they were. They had all the gear. They looked the part. And then when they got onto the court in the warm-up, they had this incredibly coached style that looked incredible. And you'd feel like you almost have lost the game to them before a point has almost been played. And then the game would start. And you discovered very quickly that if you could get three balls back into the court, you would beat them. Of course, often that was a challenge for me um, to actually do that. But they had the appearance of being incredible, but actually, in reality, they were far from it. They looked the part, but actually, they were kind of phonies. It was all appearances. And you know, there's a lot of fake in our world today. There's a lot of phony in our world today. And almost as though God gave this to me uh, as a gift last night, a sermon illustration, my phone rang last night while we were having tea. And I thought, oh, I don't normally check." I just looked at it, oh, it's a, it's a number from Canberra. Oh, I better check it. I don't know who would be calling me from Canberra on a Saturday night, so I hold it up to my ear, and it's a recorded message. This is the Australian Taxation Office. <laughs> we, you have an outstanding tax debt that has not been paid, and uh, litigation has now commenced against you. And if you are not, uh, you need to call this number and quote this code, and if you do not do this within 24 hours, you'll be placed under arrest. And, and for a few seconds I I thought, oh my goodness. And I thought, no, this is this is phony. I hope it's phony. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was phony. I, I Googled it this morning to make sure. Do you know that in the last month eighty uh, people have paid eight hundred thousand dollars to those scammers in Australia? It's a, it's a total scam eight hundred thousand dollars in one month but it's not true do you know I, I read another article about all these people who are into online uh you know um dating online dating and they go online and they think they're talking to uh i don't know bob from beaumont but they're actually talking to nigel from nigeria do you like that one a little bit of preaching uh. they they go online And there's people who are spending as their job, they're sitting at a computer all day long seeking to build relationship and build trust, pretending to be someone they're not and then scam some people out of their money. This is happening all the time. Zoe Gaskin nodding her head because she deals with some of this stuff, do you? Yes. Uh, There's a lot of fake in this world. There's a lot of fake in this world. And just generally speaking, beyond this kind of uh, extreme levels, uh, when we look on Facebook and social media, people don't always present as the person they actually are. The person we present is often a smiling, happy person whose kid always gets an A. It's not always the case. Some kids get B's or C's or notes in their report card saying they're distracting the class and all that kind of stuff it is hard to get the real deal in this life today outward appearances don't always match inward reality and we kind of have three identities we have who we think we are we have who other people think we are and then is who we really are and who we really are is who God sees because as we know, God sees past all of that. And he sees the real us. He made us. Bible says he knows us. He knows the number of hairs on our head. No jokes about that to be made. And he knows us for who we really are. And I want to talk about that this morning in this passage from Romans chapter 2. Verse 17 to 29 is what I'm going to focus on. If we can bring that up on the screen, that would be awesome. Let me read it to you. Now you... If you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior, because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, You then, who teach others, do you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you circumcision has value if you observe the law but if you break the law you have become as though you had not been circumcised so then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker A person is a Jew who is one, uh, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Let's uh, get into this passage a little. Last week, Nack shared with us a passage that spoke about the wrath of God. And it was a difficult passage to preach on, that the wrath of God being poured out against the ungodliness of humans. And he softened it beautifully by bringing an illustration about golf into the story. And any anyone who preaches and brings golf in is okay with me. Um, but he brought a hard word and he, he spoke about as that, Memory verse I shared with us just before spoke about that actually that the Gentiles couldn't just say well we haven't we're not the Jews we haven't been shown the law we we haven't been given all these covenants and so we don't have to worry about this because actually God's revealed to us his his nature and the fact that he exists because it's all around us you've just got to look at the way the world has been made and the beauty of the world and the the creation and all points to God so that everyone is without excuse. And he goes on to list at the end of chapter one, this list of what it is like when people have uh, disobeyed the law and ignored it and and don't have it and are just living lives kind of sold out to sin. He says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. It's talks about all these people who are sold out to sin with a particular focus on the Gentiles who do not know the law. Now, the thing is that a devout Jew, hearing this, And hearing this condemnation of those who just are sold out to sin, and hearing the condemnation and the fact the wrath of God is coming even to the the Gentiles who do not have the law, they would have heard this and said, Amen. Particularly people like the Pharisees, who were the the sort of teachers of the law and the one who most strictly held the law, they would have said, absolutely, God's wrath should be poured out on those ungodly people. But then Paul, in this passage turns the mirror on the Jews. And he says to them, have a good look at yourselves. Now let's be really clear as I start out this message. This message is not anti-Semitism. I'm going to be talking about the Jews and Paul's condemnation of them, but this is not anti-Semitism. That's a horrendous part of history. Last year, uh, Mel and I uh, traveled to Israel and one of the most powerful and incredibly moving horrific things we'd ever experienced was to go through the holocaust memorial in jerusalem yad vashem mind-blowing incomprehensible uh, but paul is not anti-semitic paul is a jew the first apostles were a jew and jesus was a jew so he's 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 not it's not an anti-semitism he's writing to them though to bring them a picture of reality to turn the mirror on themselves and this is what he says verse 17 to 20. he highlights five things and they're all rhetorical uh, rhetorical statements he says if you call yourself a jew if you rely on the law so they did call themselves jews they did rely on the law if you brag about your relationship with god that's what they were doing if you know his will they did if you approve of what is superior which is they did there's more than five if you're convinced you're a guide for the blind, a light for the, those in the dark. And this, this is what they were going about thinking of themselves. This is how they saw themselves. We are guides for the blind. We are, we are lights in the dark. We have this relationship with God. We have the law. We are the chosen ones to some extent all of that was true but you can see where this leads them to be the attitude they had and he says to them not well um you know at this point they would have been saying absolutely yes we're all those things and perhaps they're waiting for him to say congratulations how great you are but instead he brings a smackdown to them he says to them well here's the critique If you preach against stealing, do you steal? It's another rhetorical question. He's saying, this is what you do. You preach against stealing, but you steal. You say people shouldn't commit adultery, but you commit adultery. You teach others, but you're not willing to teach yourselves. You abhor idols, but you go and rob temples. You boast about the law, but then you dishonor God by breaking the law. And then he finishes by saying this, he says in verse 23, uh, verse 24, he says, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. You're not a light to the Gentiles, but actually because of you, God's name is being blasphemed among the Gentiles. And what he's quoting here is from Isaiah. He's quoting something that was written 700 years before, which was the critique that Isaiah brought to the Jewish people 700 years prior and now he comes and says you're still doing the same thing rather than being a light God's name is being blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you well what's he saying of them well what do you what do you call someone who tells people what they shouldn't do but then goes and does the same thing a hypocrite that's what he's saying he's saying you're hypocrites You're hypocrites. And this is in line with with Jesus' critique of the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Let me find that and read that out to you. This is what Jesus had to say to, um, to the Pharisees in his day. Matthew 23. He brought a stinging critique against the Pharisees. Verse 13 to 15. He says this. Matthew 23 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. What were they doing wrong he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You get the tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, is that how you say that spice? But you have neglected the most important matters of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you have strained out a gnat but swallowed a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean too. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean how's that man jesus gentle jesus meek and mild i don't think so he's saying you're hypocrites it's all looks good on the outside but on the inside it's not so good i'll share with you another tennis story start of the tennis season uh my son was about the third week and, and he's playing green ball, which is a uh, just a tennis sort of level. It's his first season of tennis, slightly lower compression tennis ball is probably not crucial to the story, but um, he uh, I, the first couple of weeks um, we just uh, get there, and the, everyone was friendly, and the parents say, "Oh yeah, we would put a parent on the tennis courts because the kids are still learning how to the rules and how to stand on the right side and all this." And so anyway, we get we rock up at one of the courts, and I go out to the game thought well I'll be the dad helper who stands there and just make sure they stand on the right side and if they make a glaringly obvious call I can say oh no actually that was in and and one of the parents comes up and says excuse me you need to stand on the other side of the tennis fence (laughs) oh really uh what you are not permitted to stand on this side of the fence you need to be on the other side oh okay we've just been helping out with the kids making sure no I've studied the green ball rules and that is not allowed oh Okay, so fine, I'll go and stand on the other side of the fence. So I did, and then I look across, and on the other court, another parent from their team is umpiring the other game. And I thought, you hypocrites. (laughs) And I couldn't help myself. I said, so can I just clarify, I'm not allowed to umpire this game, but your parent from your team is allowed to umpire that game. Is that how it works? a little bit cheeky (laughs) shouldn't have been moment of lack of grace (laughs) so this parent sort of goes she stands up and goes across and calls off her other parent. so now there's no parent on the court (laughs) and anyway turns out her son is playing my son in a tennis game right in front of us (laughs) and her son goes to hit a ball and he double hits it right quite obviously and then my son sort of stops. Did you double hit that? And he stops and he loses the point because he, he stops. The kid goes, Ah, oh, um, the kid calls out to the, the gallery watching, Did I double hit it? And his teammate uh, from the double says, Yeah, you did. And guess what happens next? Mum chimes up, No, you didn't. <laughs> that was not a double hit. I thought, Oh my goodness. <laughs> you hypocrites. But I remained silent (laughs) on that occasion. (laughs) But you know something I discovered as I reflected on that little moment? It's a lot easier to spot hypocrisy in others and a lot harder to spot it in ourselves. It's a lot easier to spot it in others and it's a lot harder to be willing to accept the times when we are hypocritical. Paul's startling conclusion for them is that because of them, because of them, the name of God is being blasphemed among the Gentile. The Gentiles are, are, um, are uh, looking to God and going, who is this God? Because of the behaviour of the Jews, rather than them being a light. Now, Paul went around sharing this kind of gospel in the synagogues to the Jews. You can only imagine their response. They either would have just been like, you are, this is a joke. Like they would have either treated it as a joke, but more likely they would have been absolutely outraged. Absolutely outraged to hear this claim against them. And their response, which Paul sort of deals with their, their likely response, to say, well, hold on, how can you say this about us? We have the covenants. We have the sign of the covenant. All this talk about circumcision, which is a little bit awkward is this, that was the sign of the covenant that Abraham had made, to say we are God's people and he has chosen us. And circumcision is the sign of that covenant, right? And Paul says to them, he says this, he says, no, the sign is, is an outward thing. What's in the heart is going on. So rather than talk about circumcision, I'll talk about another sign, which is marriage, right? How do you know, looking at me, that I'm married? I'm wearing this ring right but if i was to do this if i was to come down here to josh and josh can you just hold your finger out and if i was to do this now is josh married right he's uh, he's wearing the ring he's got the outward sign but actually it doesn't necessarily mean that he's married he's got the appearance of being married He's got the the sign, but that doesn't mean that the reality is that he's married. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, you can have the outward sign. You can have the outward practices. But it's actually what's going on in the heart that matters. Now, I've been talking a lot about the Jews. And the, the beauty of that is it just lets us off the hook. It's nothing more than a history lesson if we leave it there. But, of course, God wants us to turn the mirror not on the Jewish people in the first century but on ourselves right on ourselves the Barna research group are probably the most respected uh, Christian research group in uh, in America when they asked Christians now when they asked non-Christians why they rejected Christianity and they gave them an opportunity to tick the box on why non-Christians rejected Christianity 87% surveyed cited that Christians were too judgmental. It's one of the reasons they rejected Christianity. 85% responded they believed Christians were hypocritical. Interesting. Mahatma Gandhi, um, listed by Time magazine, as the third most influential person of the 21st century, once said this, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I'd be a Christian if not for the Christians. How many times do we see a famous Christian leader who everyone looks up to, and then they have a massive downfall? From uh, Jimmy Swaggart, Jim Baker, Ted Haggard, more recently, Guys like Mark Driscoll, who was dismissed from his church most recently, very sadly. Bill Hybels, dismissed from his church. He's a hero of mine, man I looked up to, man of incredible integrity, dismissed recently from his church. His uh, problem: Christian leaders who don't practice what they preach. And in a sense, here I am, standing before you. I mean, far from perfect. It's not just. Christian leaders who can be hypocritical. There can be the the man of faith in the church, the great husband, the lovely bloke who's always got a scripture to share or a prayer to pray. But when he gets home, his words are harsh and critical and he can use scripture in a way that is very judgmental. Or the passionate worshipper sold out to Jesus who judges others based on their way that they maybe don't worship in the same way, don't have the same level of spirituality as they do. Or the moral crusader who con- condemns vocally the sins of others, but who hides away a secret sin of their own. Well, what about us? And what about you? The combination of a high talk and low walk is what caused the Gentiles to blaspheme the name of God They judge the Lord, as men always do, by those who profess to be his followers. We need to think about what this means for us. How do people see, what do people see in you? How do we avoid hypocrisy? There's a question, how do we avoid it? Well, there's a couple of ways to avoid hypocrisy. One is to be perfect. You can avoid hypocrisy by being perfect. The other is by being amoral. Amoral being you just do not care about your morality or, or the morality of others. You'll never judge anyone because anything goes in yourself and in others. You'll never be considered hypocritical uh, if that's the case. In fact, the more immoral you are, the, more, the less hypocritical you'll be. But there's got to be a third way. And the third way is to be Humble third way is to be repentant third way is to be gracious to be contrite to be slow to judge and to be compassionate and i believe that is what god calls us to it's one of the things out of this message i want you to hear that actually how we conduct ourselves as christians is vitally important because otherwise we can end up looking just like those pharisees Or just like those Jews who walk around and actually in our desire to take a a moral stand, we can end up becoming nothing but judgmental Pharisees uh, like those in Jesus' time. But I've also got to say this. There's a lot more to this passage than just a moral lesson. This passage is crucially about how we try and do things outwardly to try and justify ourselves to others and to God. It's how we seek to be self-righteous. In fact, what's more important in this passage than it being about how we present ourselves to others is about the question of where do we stand before God. So I've got to preach about that for the last few minutes to try to bring home the meaning of this passage. Self-righteousness, the desire to appear right, not just before others, but before God, is something that seems to be part of the human condition. As I said recently, uh, last year I was in in Israel, and I saw the devotion of the Jewish people there today. You know, the the observance of the Sabbath and the way they go about that with incredible uh, detail. In the hotel we stayed at in Jerusalem, there was a lift and one lift was dedicated to be the Sabbath lift. And in that lift, on the Sabbath, it would stop at every single floor on the way up and the way down. So every single floor of about the 25-storey building, it would stop and the doors would open and close. Why? Because you can't work on the Sabbath. And pressing the button in the lift would be work. In the hotel room, in the, in the, the, the lamps in the bedroom had a Sabbath... Um, button you could press and set it up because on the sabbath you wouldn't be able to turn the light off at night so you could set a timer so that on the sabbath the light would turn off at at the desired time because it would be work to press the button and this level of observance and this level of piety and when i went to the western Wall, the piety and the prayer and those who study scripture day and night was unbelievable and then when we went just above the Western Wall, to the Dome of the Rock, we knew that in the mosque there that was happening was a devotion that again probably exceeded that of most Christians amongst the Muslim people. Five times a day gathering to pray. Fasting for a season. Incredible piety. Incredible righteousness or righteous acts. And then, but then you can look not at religious people, but at secular people today, and we get this thing called virtue signalling. Do you know what that is? Virtue signaling is when you go online and you condemn someone for not being moral enough according to your standard. So someone makes a comment, particularly around gender, sexuality or the environment, and someone makes a comment that doesn't fit the modern status quo. And uh, believe me, if you were to make a comment on Facebook that clashes with the modern morality around those things, you are going to get... Those who say, how dare you? And they kind of say, I'm up here and, and, you know, I'm going to judge you. Well, it's also in the church, isn't it? With Christians who lo- lose sight of the gospel and turn, to, turn relationship into religion. And it can be very easy for Christians to start thinking, I'm doing all this stuff. Surely good God will reward that. Surely that will be somehow helping me be closer to God. Well, let me just finish by saying and and wrap this up, that the whole purpose of this whole section is that Paul wants both Jews and Gentiles alike to know exactly where we stand before God. And this is where we stand. Chapter 3, verse 9, I'm just going to jump to it. I'll come back to it next week. But it says this, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we we have already made this charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And the message for the law-abiding Jew, the devout Muslim, the moralistic agnostic, the religious Christian, doesn't matter where you are and what you stand, it is all the same thing, is that you will not be saved by your outward works. And indeed, what's in the heart of all of us is that all of us, in one way or another, have turned away from God. And the idea, this human construct of scales, that if we weigh it up and if our good works slightly outweigh our bad works, then we'll get to heaven, is a totally human concept. The idea that if we compare ourselves to to others and we're better than others and we're less bad than others, then we're okay... To God is again a human construct. God is holy and He is just. And the message of this whole section that we finish with today says this, that we will all be judged and we will stand before God and in light of His righteousness, our unrighteousness will be revealed. In light of His perfection, our imperfections will be revealed. In the light of His holiness, our unholiness will be revealed. In the light of his consistency and unchanging nature, our ever-changing inconsistency will be revealed. And because he is a God of justice, we will all stand before him guilty, rightly so. Unless, unless, there is a saviour. Who we put our faith in and that saviour is jesus christ when i became a christian i did not become a christian through hearing the message that god loved me or well, partly that but i'd heard that many 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 times before because i'd grown up in the church the day that i became a christian i became a christian because i heard the message that i was not right with god in and of myself that I had been around church for so long that I could have the outward appearance of righteousness. But someone convinced me and convicted me of the reality that inward, I was not right with God because I had turned away. Because God's standard is here and I was here. And I am so thankful that that person convicted me of that truth. That is actually the beauty of these passages that speak about the wrath of God. They seem so bad. Like you don't want to preach them. But it's actually only in light of this that the gospel looks so good. So I'm going to finish by sharing with you one thing. Because I've preached a while. Do the band want to start to come up while I do this? Martin Luther was a man who who discovered the power of the grace of God through studying Romans. But Martin Luther's last words, someone just shared this with me this week. In fact, I was with, I was in a situation, I won't tell you the situation, um, but someone shared this with me just this week, that Martin Luther, his last words before he died were words written on a piece of paper, sort of scrawled on a piece of paper and found in his pocket after he'd died, and they were written half in Latin and half in German. And he wrote this, so I'll try and say it, via sine Petler hoc est verum, which translated means this We are beggars, that is true. We are beggars, that is true. What does that mean? It means that Luther's final understanding of himself was not of being a great preacher or a great teacher, or a great reformer, or someone who had attained some incredible position in society or in history. But as a man who simply had his hands out, needing the grace of God for his salvation, who was nothing except for the grace and mercy of God. And that is the message I want to bring today. That this is who we are If we understand who we really are we don't have titles or wealth or this or that or the other we are just people with our hands out who need to say that without the grace of god we are nothing but with our hands out into our lives is poured the wonderful love and grace of god through which we are forgiven through faith in jesus so i want to simply offer this morning that if there's anyone here who has heard this message for the very first time and really had it connect with them, that actually on your own you have turned away from God and actually need to turn to Him, because actually before God and His holiness, you actually stand in a position of being not right with Him, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And if you are actually in a position of just needing afresh to turn back to God and say, I have not had my hands out. I've been relying on myself. Then I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if the band can just lead us into this song, I'm going to pray for us and give you an opportunity just to simply respond by raising your hand. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you that what we could never do, which is make ourselves right, you sent your Son into the world so that through faith in Him, you could make us right. And I just want to pray for anyone here this morning who just actually needs to sort of own that afresh, that simple reality of the reality of who we are and the truth of who you are and how great your gospel is, how gracious you are. And I don't know, if you've got away from that and just need to return to that, or if you've never received that message and and this morning want to make a decision of faith in Jesus, in either case, just as a a way of acknowledging that, I just want you to just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Basically, you're saying, you're saying, Jesus, I just want to put my hands out. I just want to put my hands out. And echo the words of Martin Luther. We are beggars, that is true. And I need your grace. Awesome. Just want to pray blessing along blessing on those people thank you God that we are saved by your grace that this message we get to proclaim this scripture I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes for in the gospel of rightness from God is revealed righteousness that's by faith faith alone thank you for your gospel we pray in Jesus name Amen. All right. Ben's pointed out that I forgot the memory verse <laughs> for the day. So thank you, Ben. Uh, so the memory verse is actually not from the passage that I... Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit earlier. Um, so I've got Romans 2, chapter, Romans chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. It's pretty harsh to sort of send this out as a blessing. So I'll do a blessing after this. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another... You are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Go in peace. Have a great night. Um, It's kind of a funny one to end with, but it actually summarizes pretty well what I've been preaching about. It's about judging others. So uh, may you go out in the grace of God, but may you go out to express the grace of God, to love with the grace of God, to, to live graciously amongst those in your family amongst those in your network and you that you work with amongst those who have different beliefs and values to you amongst everyone Uh, may you go out humbly knowing who you are who you really are where you really stand before god and then how good the gospel is amen and lastly come back next week because next week i get to share with you about this gospel and it's great let's go